This is part two of Nephi's magnificent vision. Last time, we talked about Father Lehi's dream of the Tree of Life, and we talked about Nephi's inspired interpretation of that dream. Now, after Nephi had seen the vision of the Tree of Life, his panoramic vision didn't stop there. It continued on for a complete, in-depth review of world history that lay ahead of Nephi's time and would take place over the next several centuries of time. This was one of the most comprehensive and spectacular visions ever to be revealed to humankind. This is Between the Lines of the Book of Mormon, and we're your hosts. I'm Jay Harris. And I'm Andrew Harris. And we welcome you as we return again and discuss the incredible vision that Nephi had. As we discussed last time, Lehi had this amazing dream, and then Nephi wants to find out about it, so he prays and he gets caught up in the Spirit, goes and meets an angel, and he gets to see all these amazing things. I find it really fascinating to imagine what emotions were going on in Nephi's heart. What was he thinking? What was he feeling on the inside? Yeah, I just think it's interesting that when he sees Jerusalem, and for me, it's like I imagine what these things look like and where they were, but he actually had grown up in Jerusalem. He sees all the things that happened to Jesus in his life, and he sees that Jesus is this righteous person who's doing all these amazing things. He calls him the Son of God, and he calls him the Lamb of God. And at the end, he sees that he was taken. It says, And I looked and beheld the Lamb of God, that he was taken by the people, Yea, the Son of the Everlasting God was judged of the world. And how heartbreaking that must have been to him to see the Son of God, the tree of light, the the one that was going to be the symbol of the love of God. This amazing person was then taken, and these evil people were going to judge him. It was so unjust. It must have hurt him to see that. I think Nephi had to be absolutely heartbroken to witness the trial the crucifixion, and the death of Jesus Christ. After the angel allowed Nephi to witness these tragic events, he then transported Nephi to a new and much more pleasing scene. The angel says to him, Look, and that's when he beholds his seed. Nephi sees the land of promise, and he sees his seed begin to spread out over the land. Yeah, it says there were more than the sands of the sea. And how amazing that would be to just know I'm going to have all these descendants, and they're going to be in this beautiful land, millions of them. But he sees all these wars and all these people falling away and fighting. And Then he saw the mountains tumbling into pieces, and he saw the plains of the earth, that they were broken up, and he saw many cities that they were sunk, and he saw many cities were burned with fire. So this is all the destruction that took place right at the time of the death of Christ. And then he sees the heavens open, and the Lamb of God descends down, and shows himself to the children of Nephi. What an exciting thing that must have been to realize that Christ would come to his own descendants. Yeah, that would have been the highlight for Nephi too. We talk about it as the highlight of the Book of Mormon, but for Nephi seeing his descendants experience Jesus Christ actually come and walk among them and heal their people and show them those miracles. And, and how righteous they were. He said for three generations he saw these people, that they were righteous and good, and on into the fourth generation. You know, this is all wonderful and good, 
But he then sees that after four generations, wickedness starts to come among the people and they started to fight again. And in Nephi twelve fourteen it says, And the angel said unto me, Behold thy seed, and also the seed of thy brethren. Yeah. And he saw that there was battle after battle after battle, where they battled against the seed of Laman and Lemuel. Yeah, and he says that he saw these filthy waters. His father had seen this river in his dream, but he saw how filthy the waters were. And he said there was mists of darkness. And, and those things, I think, symbolize kind of what was happening to his seed. They were in that filthy water. They were blinded by the mists of darkness. And eventually he saw that the seed of his people were overcome by the seed of his brethren until they were wiped from the face of the earth. Yeah, it's a really sad moment. It's easy for me to kind of just read this and think, oh, well, that's what happened. Because it is. I mean, we know the end of the Book of Mormon and what happens. But for Nephi, this is his seed he's seen in the future. And it's the first time he's realizing that they're not going to survive. What a heartbreak it was. He said, And it came to pass that I beheld, after they had dwindled in unbelief, they became a dark and loathsome and a filthy people, full of idleness and all manner of abominations. Here's another spot where we hear often in the scriptures, in the Book of Mormon, a lot of the times it talks about things being light or dark. It's easy for people to interpret that as meaning black people or white people or, you know, different Light-skinned skin. people or dark-skinned people. Yeah, but I think what they're actually talking about here is the purity of their souls. Right. He's saying they were this wonderful people and now they've become sinful. And so he compares it to light and darkness. And you think about fruit when you have an apple. If it's firm and fresh and brand new, you bite into it and it's white and pure and wonderful. If it's been kicking around the kitchen for three weeks, <laughs> it becomes dark yeah. and soft. Yeah. And when you bite into it, it's gross. <laughs> it's gross and nasty and dark. It's no longer firm and beautiful and white. Yeah. It's dark. And that's that's the same as we're describing here. Yeah, a person on the outside might be a beautiful person. They might have nice clothing. They might be intelligent or whatever. But we can't really judge what's on the inside of their spirit. And likewise, a person on the outside might be not attractive. They might have some bad clothing, or they might have all kinds of things that might make you judge that person in some way, but we shouldn't judge anyone because we don't know what's on the inside of their spirit. It's not a matter of color. It's a matter of purity. Yeah. And so he sees ascendants become dark and filthy and sinful, and then he sees as they are destroyed. And then the angel said, Look... And I looked and beheld many nations and kingdoms. And the angel said, What beholdest thou? And Nephi said, I behold many nations and kingdoms. Yeah, and he might not have understood who these people were. So He said, These are the kingdoms of the Gentiles who have now come to this land. So he sees Gentiles. There's a great church formed among them. It's not a good church. It's the great and abominable church. But he sees that there are many good Gentiles and, and good people that end up coming to the Americas. When we're talking about the great and abominable church, we're not talking about a specific church. Uh, We'll talk about this topic a little later. Yeah. It's kind of cool because as he describes those people, he says, And I beheld that the power of God was with them, and also the wrath of God was upon all those that were gathered together against them to battle. He saw in vision Columbus and the explorers who came to this country. God uses all kinds of people to accomplish his purposes. Yeah. He saw the Bible, 
which was the record of the Jews, he saw that this great and abominable church would take away precious things out of the Bible so that it was no longer plain and easily understood, but had all kinds of things in there that were misleading. And he saw that his own record, these things that we're reading today, he saw that we would have them. He said, After thy seed shall be destroyed, and dwindle in unbelief, and also the seed of thy brother, and behold, these things shall be hid up to come forth unto the Gentiles by the gift and power of the Lamb. And the beautiful thing about the Book of Mormon is that it comes to us in its purity. No one has taken away the clean and precious and pure things, easily understood things, but they come to us in the purity as they were delivered to prophets. Yeah. You know, we talk about trying to get into the mind of Nephi and understand his feelings as he saw these things. I can't help but want to get into the mind of Joseph Smith as he sat and dictated these things, and how excited he had to be to understand that Nephi was now seeing Joseph Smith's day. And our time. And our time, that's right. This is chapter 14, verse 10. And he said unto me, Behold, there are saved two churches only. The one is the church of the Lamb of God, and the other is the church of the devil. Wherefore, whoso belongeth not to the church of the Lamb of God, belongeth to that great church which is the mother of abominations. Okay, why? Two churches only. So this is a interesting conversation I've been thinking a lot about, and I know you have too. Well, yeah, why two churches? It seems kind of harsh to think that anyone who's not in God's church belongs to the church of the devil. Whoso belongeth not to the church of the Lamb, what's the church of the Lamb? The church of Jesus Christ. Whoever doesn't belong to that church belongeth to that great church which is the mother of abominations. So either you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or you belong to the Church of the Devil. That's a little harsh, isn't it? There are a lot of really good people. I think there's another way that we can look at this that is a little more... Inclusive. Inclusive. That's right. And that is to think about the eternal perspective of things. If we're just thinking about right here and right now, it seems a little harsh. But when we think about the eternal perspective, we know that we're doing work in temples for the dead, and, and that is for a purpose. So our Savior and our Heavenly Father, they look at, at all these people on the earth in a, a more eternal perspective, right. and they can see that all those people who are good humans, good people trying to serve God and trying to do the right thing. Follow Christ, many of them, yes. Yeah, will eventually be saved or be uh, in the same place as, as any of the members of the church who experience all those ordinances and things in this life. I think he's talking about the pure in heart, the people who are doing the best they can. When Jesus taught his Beatitudes to his disciples, he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's in Matthew 5, 8. It goes back to what is inside a person. And if they have pure hearts, they'll be able to accept Jesus Christ at some point, even if it's not in this life. Well, and that's where I'm glad to say I don't have no, to worry about we it. We don't have to Because <laughs> I'm not going to judge them. <laughs> I'm not the judge. And he is. Our Savior will judge us all, and he knows us. They'll be able to judge us fairly and know exactly where we should be and where we'll end up. So what you're saying is that from God's perspective, the Church of the Lamb of God is not just the members of the church. It's the faithful members of the church and all of those who will eventually reach exaltation. Yeah. And we really can't say what number that will be. We don't know. And so for God, it's black and white. But for us, it's a lot more gray, and we can't really we judge. We can't judge. That's right. 
From Joseph Smith's perspective, as he dictated this now to Oliver Cowdery, who was his scribe, he then translated the following passage. And this is in chapter 14, verse 12. Would you read that? And it came to pass that I beheld the church of the Lamb of God, and its numbers were few. So I think at first he saw, oh, he's seeing the church of the Lamb of God as he dictates that. And then there must have been some concern because mm. its numbers were few. Yeah. Because of the wickedness and abominations of the whore that sat upon many waters. And that's kind of interesting, too, because he tells us why its numbers are few. And I think the world, there's so much wickedness in the world, and it's tempting for a lot of people. Nevertheless, I beheld that the church of the Lamb, who were the saints of God, were also upon all the face of the earth. Now listen to that. Joseph Smith must have been thrilled. Here he sees the church is going to be few, but what does he see in addition? They're going to be everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> 1829. How big was the church at that point? There was no church. <laughs> there was no church. There was, it hadn't been restored yet. There was Joseph who knew that it was coming and his family had talked to him about it. But none of them were really in, in a church. There was no organization. And how long would it be? Till 1830. So it was soon, but... About another year. In verse 14, Nephi says... And I, Nephi, beheld the power of the Lamb of God, that it descended upon the saints of the church of the Lamb, and upon the covenant people of the Lord, who were scattered upon all the face of the earth, and they were armed with righteousness, and with the power of God in great glory. I love some of those words in verse 14. The saints of the church of the Lamb. Now, we call that today the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And then he says, and upon the covenant people of the Lord, and then he talks about how they had power. How do we gain power? I think it's through the covenants. By following the covenant path that God has set out for us. If we do that, we're armed with righteousness and with power. Today, we see the fulfillment of Nephi's vision. Yeah. Although the church is still relatively small when compared with the other organized religions. Percentage-wise, it's, yeah, really small. There are members of the church in almost every nation. Yeah. Saints of God are making covenants and are being armed with power and glory. Hundreds of God's temples dot the earth. It's so exciting to witness the actual realization of Nephi's vision. And I like it at the very end, he says, And if all the things which I saw are not written, the things which I have written are true. So he says, I didn't write everything that I saw. I may have forgotten something there. But the things that I wrote, you can rest assured, are true. Yeah. After this amazing vision that was given to Nephi, he must have been on such a high. He had spoken with angels and had been shown the history of the earth. And then he returns to his brother's tent. And what does he discover? His brothers are sitting there having a huge argument. <laughs> yeah. That had to be such a downer. They were in this deep discussion. He said, what are you doing? They said, we don't understand anything that Father told us. Nephi stepped aside for a moment, and it said, And it came to pass that I was overcome because of my afflictions, for I considered that mine afflictions were great above all because of the destruction of my people, for I had beheld their fall. Here he just saw Laman and Lemuel. There are these two dummies. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably how he felt, though. I mean, and he realized their <laughs> seed, yeah, their seed would continue on. They would not be destroyed. And Nephi, when he saw the multitudes of his descendants that were on this continent, must have thought, oh, how exciting that is. 
and then to realize that they were totally destroyed by the Lamanites. His descendants represented his genes, but I think it's more than that. He, as a father, taught his children principles, and he thought, these will be carried down, and my children will teach their children, and they'll teach their children, and if I'm a righteous person, (laughs) if I do what's right, I'm going to have children who are going to do what's right, and they're going to have children that do what's right. He has to just kind of accept that at some point, his descendants are going to go astray, and they're going to be destroyed. Nephi wept when he thought about the tragic future of his descendants. The scriptures say that he was overcome, but eventually he received strength from the Lord and was then able to return to his brethren in their tent. And he said, Now, what are you having trouble understanding? And they said, We don't understand what our father was talking about. He said unto them, this is in verse 8, Have ye inquired of the Lord? And they said unto me, We have not, for the Lord maketh no such thing known unto us. The next verse he says, Do you not remember the things which the Lord hath said? But I think this might be like a direct quote from what the angel had said to them when the angel appeared. If ye will not harden your hearts, and ask me in faith, believing that ye shall receive with diligence in keeping my commandments, surely these things shall be made known unto you. Quoting what the angel had told them. And Laman and Lemuel had had that promise, and yet they completely had forgotten it, I guess. Yeah, I think you're right. Why did the Lord permit Lehi and Nephi to have this vision? What was the purpose? It wasn't just for them, and it wasn't just for their descendants even. Back in chapter 11, verse 7, it says, After thou hast beheld the tree which bore the fruit which thy father tasted, thou shalt also behold a man descending out of heaven, and him shall ye witness. And after ye have witnessed him, ye shall bear record that he is the Son of God. And so, He was given all these things so that he could bear record of it, so that he could bear testimony to us. Today, there's millions of people all across the globe who have the Book of Mormon. And as we read it, we get to hear his testimony each time we read these things. Thank you so much for listening. This is our fourth podcast accompanying the Come Follow Me Lessons for 2024. If you're enjoying the podcasts, please share with your friends and family members. Next time, we'll talk about Lehi's family's guidance to their promised land. Please join us, and of course, enjoy your reading.